Hello there, podcast listener. Amber Noel here. It's my turn to be a listener now. I would love to hear your thoughts about the podcast. The Living Church, as you might know, is a nonprofit communications ministry with a heart for Christian unity, especially in the Anglican Communion. And we want to keep our mission sharp in all we do, including the podcast, and have fun, obviously. But would you write to me and let me know how we're doing? What's the podcast doing for you? Is it making a difference in your thinking, your ministry, your prayer life, your daily walk with your golden doodle? Do you have some hot takes on what we could do better? I want to hear it all. I might even read your comments on the next episode. There are so many great podcasts out there. I want to do more of what The Living Church is here to do and less of what it's not. So there are two things you can do to help. First, make sure you're following us from a podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Find us on the page and click follow. The second thing you can do is email me, ambernoel at livingchurch.org. Share with me a thing or two you've gotten from the podcast over the years. And if you want, include something we might do better. Help us stay not just a great podcast, but on mission. Follow us, email me, A-M-B-E-R-N-O-E-L at livingchurch.org. I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church, Catholic, Evangelical, Ecumenical. Today we're talking about marriage. Only recently in human history have we expected so much from marriage. The pressure, or maybe we should say the temptation, to rely totally on your spouse for companionship, emotional support, etc., etc., is not so easily resisted when you're at home with them 24-7. Today, we're going to hear from Dr. Gordon Bowles, the founder of Daymark Pastoral Counseling in Birmingham, Alabama. He focuses on issues related to marriage and family, as well as grief and trauma. He has an MA in biblical counseling and a doctorate in education in pastoral community counseling. He's also an adjunct faculty member at Beeson Divinity School and the author of the book Common Ground, Discovering God's Redemption in Your Marriage. Dr. Bowles spent some time with Abigail Woolley Cutter to talk about conducting your closest relationships in a small space, a small space that may or may not feel like it's getting smaller. He shares practical words of wisdom about extended networks, turning outward, staying connected to nature, and giving your spouse permission to need more than you, and actually how to let them be disappointed when you're not enough. Even the unmarried listener can benefit from the wisdom of readjusting our expectations for our lives in the light of the gifts we have in Christ. Now, if what Christ offers us isn't more than we can just give each other anyway, well, then, as St. Paul put it, we are the most to be pitied. So how can we let him turn us toward one another during this time for our good? here with Dr. Gordon Bowles. Gordon, thank you so much for making this time to speak with me this morning 
about issues that marriages may be encountering during this COVID-19 crisis. Thanks, Abigail. One of the things I've been thinking about is that it's a pretty common observation that we contemporary Westerners tend to put a lot of pressure on this dyad of marriage, this two-person relationship. And this is in contrast to some former times when a wider or stabler community might have meant that married people didn't need to get all their needs met by their spouses. During this COVID-19 crisis, however, we are taking this pressure on marriages and intensifying it even further as most Americans are quarantined in our houses. So how do you think couples can think and act wisely about this pressured season of needing to rely just on each other? Abigail, actually, I just want to reaffirm um, the initial part of your question. You said it's a common observation that in Western culture, we tend to put too much pressure on marriage, but I actually don't think a lot of people realize how much we do that. We're so used to being in the culture that we're in, we forget that it's somewhat unique in human history. In fact, there wasn't a word for family the way we know it in the European language until 1880. Prior to that, it was the word familia, and familia was over 100 people. That was extended family, that might have been servants, neighbors. It was more normal to have people in your everyday life that actually were involved with you and kind of helped you carry the weight of your marriage. So I I did want to, just by way of reminder, say we really live in a culture where we put way too much pressure on each other as a spouse to actually carry our emotional needs. And if I was going to turn towards thinking about, okay, what can we do in a time where there is actually more pressure on us to do that because we're isolated, what do we do? What's hard to remember is really in difficulty, what we do is what we kind of need to be doing on a somewhat regular basis. So it can be a little bit harder in difficulty to turn towards what we may or may not have been doing in an everyday way anyway. But that would be simply like, instead of turning in on ourselves, uh, Martin Luther defined sin as turning in on ourselves. I think the gospel, redemption, our faith should be turning us outward towards God and others. So a simple reminder would be to be turning outward. How do we do that? A simple common practice is prayer. I think we forget when Jesus said, I'm gonna, when I, it's better that I go because then I'll send you a comforter and I don't leave you as orphans. I think we forget that the Holy Spirit is there and simply as a couple individually, we can pray. That's one, word, one way to turn outward. I think special revelation, the scriptures is another way. One of the things I've been talking with people about is because we have a little bit more time and we've slowed down, something like meditation, actually taking a larger passage of scripture and kind of meditating on it, and then maybe going back and reading through the context and just spending a little bit more time with one portion of scripture. That's another way to turn outward. One of the things I've seen, I've been surprised being out in my neighborhood, there's been a lot more people outdoors. And there's something about being outside that softens us. So to make time to get outside and walk and do things like we have a little Frisbee golf set that we'll set up this weekend and just be outside doing things. I also think on, on, and this should be something on a somewhat regular basis, we're turning outward towards others. So we can use technology to catch up with a friend and do a FaceTime or a Skype session. I've heard of people getting together like as a couple and kind of still being six feet apart, but kind of (laughs) bringing their camping chairs and setting it up on the patio or something where they're still 
separated, but they're at least a little bit together. I've heard of people in like their small groups doing uh, Zoom meetings and stuff. So the simple answer to that would be trying to turn outward more. And then the other thing I would say is as we're together as a couple, to simply remember that we can't meet each other's needs. Oftentimes in uh, marital counseling, I'm saying to each spouse, like, you've got to give each other permission to not um, meet each other's needs. For instance, my wife and I are pretty different, which is uh, normal in a marital situation. And um, I think she dreamed of, like, marrying someone who could maybe sing and dance and just be a lot lighter than I am. I tend to be a lot heavier. So sometimes I just have to give her permission to feel the weight of living with me. Like I can't meet some of those needs she desires most to be met. And I want to give her permission to kind of enjoy that. An example of that would have been years ago, I bought her tickets to kind of go to a concert with a friend. And I, well, I said to go with her friend because I'm not really concert fun. And I thought for sure she would have more fun going with her friend. It took me a while to grow into the humility to kind of accept that I wasn't going to meet all her needs. So simply being together and giving each other permission to feel the weight of not being able to meet each other's needs. So there are a couple things that come to mind. I'm sure there's others, but I, I guess that speaks to that issue. That's wise. So even in uh, even when some of the other things that we might turn to aren't as available, um, there's still freedom to um, to live with um, live with a little less, and just be okay with it. I can't be everything for you. You can't be everything for me. Yeah, that's well said. I think we forget it says something like if. Our hope in Christ is for this world only. We are to be pitied more than anyone. So we have to give ourselves permission to just accept that all our needs aren't going to be met. That makes sense. So many marriages operate with some weak spots or some underlying tensions. And I suppose this is similar to the to the first question, because couples often manage to get along by turning to some other activities. Maybe they avoid those pressure points. But at this moment, I can imagine that there are many couples who are being forced to face their problems in a more direct way than usual. And my guess is that some relationships might be strengthened by this and some might be pushed to a breaking point that they've been avoiding all along. What do you think will make the difference between these two paths? Again, Abigail, it's a really thoughtful question, and I think you're right. I, I think in times of difficulty, and this is what the scriptures would teach in a large sense, in times of difficulty, what happens is our fleshly nature, kind of the things we depend on that aren't the Lord, come to the surface. They bubble up under the pressure, and we can either turn away from them or turn towards them. So I do think there will, unfortunately, be couples that get to a breaking point and it maybe even spills over and they experience some moments that are way more difficult than they've experienced up to this point. I think the answer to the question is simply this, how well can one or both spouses uh, do what I would call suffer redemptively? Um, when it says God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble, and then it says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. That passage occurs both in James 4 and 1 Peter 5, which actually are letters written to churches in trial, similar to our kind of present moment where we're in trial. And what it's saying when it's saying God as opposed to the problem gives grace to the humble, it's saying we tend to depend on our gifts. We tend to lean towards things 
that will make our life work that are natural to us. When we're in times of difficulty, those things aren't going to work the same way, all right? And so what we have to do is humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. What I kind of say that means in contemporary language is be willing to follow the Lord along paths that confront what you have trusted. For me, something I trust actually is work and accomplishment and schedule, and that has all been disrupted during this time. And so I have a little more anxiety, like things come to the surface because what I've trusted isn't as available. So I do think we have to do more of what I suggested in the first answer in terms of turning outside ourselves. And I know it may sound strange, but suffering redemptively is trying to trust some things that maybe don't feel as trustworthy in our normal way of being. So for me, like sitting outside and not doing anything is probably going to be an initial challenge. That's why I might do something like have our little Frisbee golf set up because that just helps me do that. It's a means of grace to do better what I need to do. But that's kind of the best answer I can give is if one or both can suffer redemptively, can lean into this present moment and begin to brainstorm and choose some things that would bring them life and kind of help them endure the present moment, that's probably the best thing that I could suggest. So recognizing that when things are not going well, even if you have these stresses that are intensified, keeping your eye on the redemptive possibilities. Definitely, yes. Seeing that and and maybe even naming that together and talking about that. But kind of with that, like where it says in Psalm 103 that God gives bread to give us strength, wine to make us glad, olive oil is lotion for our skin. Really what he's saying is these things are gifts that help us kind of endure in a fallen world. So I think we need to turn to some things that provide refreshment that we might not naturally choose. But maybe as we involve ourselves in those things, they bring some refreshment and kind of help us endure the present moment. Thanks. Finances are a stressor to marriages in the best of times. And at this moment, financial loss is already widespread. The New York Times reported this morning that 3.3 million people filed for unemployment last week. And we don't know what's going to happen next. So what can couples do to become a stronger team during financial uncertainty or hardship? I think that's probably the uh, most difficult things individuals, families, couples are facing right now is the stress from what's going to happen financially. And a lot of that's unknown because it's a pretty unprecedented time. You know, one of the things I do as a pastoral counselor is I look for themes in scripture, things that are repeated somewhat often. So when we think about finances, like think about a passage like 1 Timothy 6, um, where it says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into this world. We can't take anything out with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. Right, that's one place where the scriptures speak about finances and possessions. Matthew 6, when it talks about the birds of the air, like if God cares for them, how about, I mean, how much more would he care for us? Another way that theme is addressed is in Deuteronomy, after the Israelites go through the desert, it's almost like God says, what was so hard about wandering in the desert? And they would have said, well, all we had were sandals and clothes that never wore out and the same food every day. But we didn't know where we were going, and we didn't know if we were going to get there. And I think the Lord's answer might have been, so fear of the future 
is what was making every day hard, yet you weren't paying attention to the provisions I gave you every day because they were the promise that it was going to turn out okay, that I'm for you. And so I think when we think about financial stress, uh, anxiety, worry, if we think about those larger themes where God reminds us that he cares about us like the birds of the air, hopefully can give us a little bit of freedom to live better in the present moment. And I think what we have to do, our, our brain automatically attaches to the negative and it repels the positive. We actually have to think on the positive for 20 seconds to attach to it. And so part of what we have to do is look at the present provision. I, I don't think the Israelites were saying to themselves, it's all going to be okay. See, we're getting manna every day and our sandals aren't wearing out. God is committed to taking care of us. So in this moment where actually we have probably more time, that's something we can do in our present state where we kind of turn toward the provision that's in front of us, that's with us. And that can that doesn't only have to be like food and clothing. I think there's a lot of relational gifts I think people are finding in this moment by having some more time together, like to kind of remember those things and to turn towards those things and even to celebrate those things. Uh, one of the things I've done as my wife and I and girls, and this time I have adult daughters, the other night we did a, um, a little house party, prayer kind of chat, catch up time. And part of what we simply named and celebrated was that we were grateful to have each other going through this time. So if you can kind of remember your daily provisions and, and celebrate those as reminders that God hasn't forgotten you. And that really he's committed to the future. Like there's times I'll just say, Lord, I'm, I'm the kid and you're the dad. Like you're going to have to figure this out. I'm not big enough and good enough to do that. And that frees me up a little bit to pay better attention to the provision that's right there in front of me. And then I try to lean into that and celebrate that a little bit more. The other thing is, I think we have to be creative. Something that's central to the believing life that I think we often forget is creativity. It's the first thing we see God doing in Genesis that he creates. And so one of the things we've been trying to do as a family is to find new ways to be together. We've even tried to find creative ways to connect with friends and family online, some games we could play through FaceTime. And again, that's kind of celebrating the provision that's right in front of you or the relationships that you have, trying to lean in and be a little bit more creative to kind of stir the life that's part of your everyday life. And maybe that will help you endure and, and even forget a little bit of the financial tension during this time. That's a good idea to point out that some of our limitations can open up new possibilities for creativity, which can be um, really uplifting. I like that. So a lot of these suggestions that you give, uh, a lot of the scriptures you're pointing us to, the mindsets you're encouraging us to adopt, seem to involve both spouses being fully invested in the process of working on the relationship and uh, keeping things healthy. What do you tell people who find themselves in a marriage where they might want to improve things, but their spouse doesn't seem as engaged in the relationship? I imagine that in a time like this, people in that position might be feeling it even more acutely. Yeah, Miguel, that's a 
that's a hard thing in kind of normal circumstances, so to speak. So it certainly would be harder in a time like this. The first thing I would say to the person who's in a relationship where they are engaged and kind of conscious about what's really going on and trying to lean in and work towards some difference and they don't have a spouse who's participating, the first thing I would say is let's not make what's hard even harder. What our fleshly nature tends to do in suffering is begin to kind of intensify lies and trials and temptations. So oftentimes what that person will hear is you should have done this, you could do that, you're not doing this, and their sense of self-hatred, self-contempt, dislike of their self tends to be exacerbated. And so the first thing I want to say is let's not make what's hard harder by believing we're primarily responsible for what is going on or primarily responsible to solve that. Just kind of hear the Lord saying, I see you. I am trying to draw near to you. I want to help you with this. This is not primarily your fault. We've got to try to fight oftentimes the pressure on ourselves that are going to intensify when we're in difficulty. Then I would say this, at a time like this, there's actually opportunity maybe to draw together with others because we just tend to be more attuned to need. One of my favorite quotes is from M. Scott Peck, and he talks about community and how in times of crisis, people tend to turn toward one another. And we look back at moments like, like he's quoting when people were in World War II, like how they felt togetherness. It's, it's in the literature, it's called trauma bonding, that there's something about pain or difficulty where we're a little bit more open to need that we might turn to others. And so I would suggest, and this is probably going to happen during this time, that that spouse who's really suffering and been trying and their other spouse has not been trying may actually turn towards someone and be open. And now since we can't do that like physically face-to-face, that may mean setting up a little FaceTime call, a phone call with a friend. And because there's more time, maybe you cross a bridge you haven't crossed and you let somebody in too often. And again, that type of situation, the suffering person who's aware turns in on themselves and not outward. So to actually step outside and do something different and to bring somebody into that and say, not only has this gotten harder now, it hasn't been easy for the last six months, for the last six years. And I should have said something to you way before this, but I need to say it now. This is what's going on. Oftentimes, the process of simply sharing a burden that we've been carrying alone, and because we've been carrying it alone, it's gotten darker and heavier. Just turning outside ourselves and sharing it with someone else can help us with that burden. And if that friend becomes like um, too anxious about that and says we need to do this or that, you can simply say, today, I just want you to hear it with me, and I want you to pray for me. And then we can talk about maybe what we can do or not do. And it may even be in a season like this, even where we're to be socially isolating, where a spouse may have to take the step to step outside the home. And then, again, I think you could do what we might normally do face-to-face through electronic means and talk to someone on your church staff or to someone you know in your community that has wisdom and begin to ask them for guidance and help on what to do. But again, because it's a time where maybe we're a little bit more attuned towards helping one another, someone might feel the freedom to step 
towards someone in a way they haven't and to let them know, this is what I've been dealing with. It's been hard for quite a while and I need to name it and say it and I need to begin to think about doing something different and taking some help, even if that meant stepping away from the relationship. I see. So even if we are physically isolated from people outside our household, that doesn't mean we shouldn't use it as an opportunity to reach out in new ways using whatever technology we can. Yeah. One of the things I've said, I've had to go to online teaching to my students at um, Beeson Divinity. And I've said as believers, we're actually made for sin, suffering, and death. I mean, made to move into it. The gospel life in us should give us confidence and hope to move into sin, suffering, and death, not away from it. In um, Romans 5 and James 1, there's this process that they name, and it talks about trials and troubles, and then it talks about endurance, and then it talks about a strength of character, and then it says we're either ready for anything or that we have hope. And so kind of the process is, if in trials and trouble we're learning to endure better, or what I said earlier, suffer more redemptively, we grow a strength of character that actually leads us to hope or we're more ready for anything, which means we have the buoyancy as a believer to move in to sin, suffering, and death, not away from it. My hope would be that maybe there's some believers that have been stumbling and practicing well of the gospel that actually have some strength in these moments to move into it. And so hopefully maybe the suffering believer who's in the marriage that's had long-term issues that person comes to mind, the person they know that has a little bit more buoyancy, maybe a little bit more hope that they could turn toward in a moment like this and begin to share their burden with them and be nourished and encouraged in it. And you touched on this just a little bit to the point that a relationship might uh, uh, might be seriously problematic for, uh, for one of the partners. But uh, I've heard a number of people voicing concerns about a spike in domestic violence or child abuse which makes sense to me when people are feeling more stressed than usual and family members are confined in tight quarters without as close access to those support systems, that situation does seem potentially ripe for abuse. So do you have anything specific to say about people who find themselves trapped in an abusive relationship now? Yeah. I would say this, and, and you say it well, there's really a possibility that a person in that type of relationship is experiencing an increase in the abuse, and it's even worse. And it may be at the point where they actually need to do something, maybe something they've needed to do for a while. And one of the hardest things as a pastoral counselor is to work with a couple where that's going on, and I have to thoughtfully and prayerfully help a person kind of step away from the relationship. Obviously, as believers, we want to be about reconciliation, but there are instances where that's not possible and people need to step away from the relationship. And I'm going to guess that that's going to come up in this time because, as you described, it's going to be a little bit harder for some people. So I would encourage a person in that type of situation to make a call to someone they trust, um, whether that's a pastor or somebody we right now are doing online counseling, and this is maybe just a good piece of information for your listeners, they've actually loosened kind of the HIPAA rules on online counseling where you can use any platform, FaceTime, Skype, Zoom. There are a lot of counselors who are still working at this time. My schedule has kind of stayed still pretty full even during this time because I'm doing what would be called teletherapy. 
So there's even counselors you can reach out to during this time who could come alongside you and help you discern kind of what to do and how to make a move away. But I would want to empower some people who may be in those situations that have needed for a while to step away to kind of reach out to someone who could give you the encouragement and help and guidance to maybe make a move like that at a time like this. And I want to say this, I have seen in times of struggle, oftentimes we're a little bit more attuned to the reality that we're in a fallen world and that we need each other. So it actually may be the best time to make a move like that because people might be more attuned to help. And quite frankly, right now, people are having more time on their hands to help. So it could be a situation if you really need that type of help where it might be more readily available than a time when we're all busy and kind of consumed in ourselves. That's good to hear. And just the fact that many aspects of society have shut down, it doesn't mean that you can't get the help that you need. Yeah, I think of many of the mental health providers, uh, whether it's a licensed professional counselor or a pastoral counselor like myself, kind of know know that in times like this, we want to be available and are available. That's great. Now, we can hope that this disease does not continue to gain steam for, for too much longer, but at the moment, we're still seeing an uptake in in cases. And um, and in this situation, some couples are finding themselves facing illness or even death. What do you say for a couple who is needing to journey through these things together? How can they do that well? I would say this as a believer, like we were not made for sin, suffering, and death. And death really isn't our friend, it's our enemy. And we're supposed to fight death. And, and one of the simple ways we fight death is by grieving. We see, and by grieving well, and I'll explain that a little bit, but we see this in John 11, where Jesus actually announces a couple days ahead of time that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he begins to journey a couple days later towards uh, where Lazarus is. And Martha and Mary run out to greet him separately and begin to talk about their own grief. And it seems like it begins to soften Jesus because as he gets there, that's where we find John 11:33, where it simply says, Jesus wept. Now, Jesus is about to do an incredible miracle, and I think it was an opportunity for him to say, why are you people downcast like I do great things? And instead, he enters into that, and and actually it says he's irritated. And I would put together kind of two words, anger and sorrow, into the word of anguish. And I think one of the ways we grieve well is, and we fight death, is by anguish that we have a little bit of anger that says we're not made for death, but a sorrow that says death pushes us outside ourselves toward the Lord where we need his comfort. And it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So this will sound really simple. It's just hard to do in practice. I think what we need to do in times like this is name our grief and feel it. We're not often encouraged to feel pain. But I really believe what we need to do in loss is name it and feel it and then say, Lord, come near us, hold us, help us, strengthen us, be larger to us. What's hard is we we don't grieve well and we often don't grieve. So they're very underdeveloped muscles. When I work with people who, who have begun grieving, they'll talk about how tired they are. And I'll simply say, you're using emotional muscles that you've never used before. And you're working out. It's like you're going to the gym every day. You just don't realize it. 
So not only do we want to name and, and feel it, we want to kind of try to keep practicing at it. And, and I think for all of us, if we can kind of step into this moment and help each other kind of name and feel some of our losses, I really think that's a place where we can experience more of the Lord. The, the difficulty may be trying to talk about it, naming it, and kind of agreeing together on what your losses are. I think, though, as I said, as we practice that, maybe we'll get better at it and experience more of the more of the Lord's comfort in our loss. Certainly, I'm so thankful for this conversation, and I know that it's been encouraging to me, and I hope that this will be helpful to our listeners as well. So, thank you so much again, Gordon Bowles, for joining us on this podcast. Abigail, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. Look for more episodes coming soon on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to get your podcasts these days. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, our website, livingchurch.org, or on our award-winning covenant blog, livingchurch.org forward slash covenant. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can find a link in the show notes that will allow you to give so we can continue to make these episodes. I'm Amber Noel, your host, and I've been glad to be with you. Peace.